Blog Talk Radio. November 22nd, 2013 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, the philosophy behind the uniquely American sense of life, the sense of life of those who believe we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of your own individual happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and the title of today's show is Obamacare's knockout game and more. You'll see what the more is in a minute or so. But if you would like to see all the stories I have planned to discuss today, just go to my blog at www.dontletitgo.com. The top post is the post for today's show, and you just scroll down to the program notes and you'll see the links to what I have in store. Unfortunately, Bosch Faustin is unable to join me in the studio today. So more than ever, I always encourage you to call and participate in the chat room, but more than ever, if you'd like to discuss any of the topics that we have planned for today, call 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. The other thing you can do, and some people are already doing it, is participate over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio. So hello, everyone. I see Elliot and Matt and Tim hanging out there. So thank you for joining in. The other thing I have to do is thank Rob Abiera. You know, everyone knows, I think, that today is the 50th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And there have been discussions, you know, all different politicians are trying to claim the aura, the positive feelings that people have about John F. Kennedy for their own side. You know, they all think that they can go ahead and co-opt whatever everybody thinks is the positive thing about JFK. But really, as some people are mentioning on, on Twitter, especially Politics of John was talking about it today, we don't really know what he would have been about had he lived to go on. Case in point, Obama's second term and all the things that we've been talking about on this show recently. It's horrible that he died. He probably would have done a lot of things I wouldn't have liked had he lived. Um, but still, any time uh, you know, someone gets assassinated, it's a, it's a terrible day. So, uh, you know, obviously I wasn't around at the time. I'm too young for that. But uh, there are a lot of people who could say this is where I was then and all that, just as we all say about 9-11, definitely a, uh, an anniversary of a terrible day. One thing that Rob Abiera sent to me, which I appreciated, was a quote from John F. Kennedy. And this is a quotation that I guess was circulated by the Oklahoma chapter of the ACLU along with a a graphic today, and the quote from JFK is this, a society which represents civil liberty realizes that the freedom of its people is built in large part upon their privacy, end quote. And I was just, you know, here I am going to go up, but I would just say, tell that to the NSA today. Tell that to the NSA and our Obama administration today. Let's go on to our scheduled content here First of all, everyone heard of the knockout game, I assume. 
It's been in the headlines on Drudge recently. Even Fox News has been reporting it. If you go to my blog and you see the blog post that I put up yesterday, which was, it's this cartoon that came to me. It was you know, inspired by hearing about this disgusting knockout game. But uh, it occurred to me that Obamacare is in effect a knockout game with respect to the American economy and the American way of life. Let's read to you a little bit first about what the knockout game is, though, just in case somehow you've missed the news and you haven't heard about what it is. Apparently what there has been is a number of gangs of young teenagers, and as a game, they're actually calling this a game, they go up to some unsuspecting person on the street, someone who's just walking down the street, minding his or her own business. Yes, they target women too. Uh, They just go up and lay the hardest punch on your head as they can. And the goal is they're supposed to knock you out in a single punch, one single punch to knock you out. Seven deaths, at least so far, have been attributed to this knockout game. It was starting, as far as I know, mostly in the New York area, but it's now spread to D.C. and Philadelphia per some of the latest reports there. But anyway, that's all the knockout game is. It is a pointless game. It's not like the people who are targeted are targeted for any particular reason there's, you know, it's it's not like they've got some sort of a grudge or anything. It's, it's a random person on the street. It's about as nihilistic as it gets. Random person on the street. And their idea of fun is to see if they can knock out that person with one punch. There's been a number of arrests, which is good. But as I understand, the game still goes on. So now you start to see the obvious connection. Obamacare is a massive punch to the American economy and to the American way of life. So seeing Obamacare as a knockout game, I think, was really kind of the obvious next step. Thankfully, I have Bosch Faustin able to draw cartoons for me from time to time. I don't often ask him to do it, but thank you, Bosch, for indulging me in this. But, you know, I said, why, you know, it's Obamacare, knockout game against the United States, a... um, uh, oh, I'm, I'm just getting a, a a text message right now from Bosch who's listening. Thanks, Bosch, for listening, even though you couldn't uh, be here. But he's saying that it's not a random person that they go up to the street. It is basically a white person or a non-black person that these kids go up to. As far as I know, every story that's been reported about the knockout game is a group of black teenagers, that it's been a black teenager, either male or female. Females have not only been the victims of the knockout game, they have been the perpetrators also of the knockout game. I think that O'Reilly on Fox News said that, oh, most of them have been black teenagers, but I haven't heard, please send me if you've heard of one, if you've heard of a single story in which there's some white thug who is you know, perpetrating this knockout game, let me know. I, I don't care whether, you know, they're white or black or whatever. I mean, I, I don't care about the race. Um, if, if you kind of want to know what to do if you're out on the street walking by yourself to avoid being the victim of this, if you saw a bunch of young black teenagers hanging out together, 
looking like they might want to cause trouble, I would say stay away from them only because, statistically speaking, all the cases that I've heard of of this real random, disgusting, horrible, evil act of violence being perpetrated is by little gangs, groups of black teenagers. I don't know. They should be in school or something. What are they doing? I have seen, you know, a lot of people make a whole ton out of the fact that they're black, including there's one, I don't even know what his name is. There's a a black pundit out on uh, YouTube and he he put a whole video out there and he's telling white people, get your guns and shoot them. And, you know, they're N-word guys and all this. I mean, it's it's really actually uh, a bit much. But I, I don't care what race they are. All I know is this is a nihilistic, horrible, evil thing that they're doing. They're calling it a game. There was a bunch of kids on a video just kind of laughing about it as they were explaining about the game. They think it's funny. And seven people have died. And who cares if they died or not died? You're going to be knocked out. You're going to be punched really hard in the face. I've also seen some of the victims say, oh, you know, they're victims of society. The ones who are perpetrating the knockout game are victims of society. They couldn't help it. They're poor. They're this. They're that. I'm sorry. You, if you're poor, you don't go out and hit somebody with the goal of knocking them out with one punch. Anyway, knockout game. It's horrible. Don't get me started. But Obamacare, I think, is in effect a knockout game against our economy, against our way of life. It is poised to destroy, as I've written, uh, by controlling, exerting totalitarian control over one-sixth of our economy. And despite the fact that we have seen recently nearly half of the Americans want the law to be repealed entirely. Over 40% of Americans want the law to be repealed entirely. And I think it's 93% want the law to be substantially modified. Nonetheless, Obama is insisting that it continue to be shoved down our throats. And you may have seen the story a couple days ago. He summoned to the White House, I believe on Tuesday, it was a bunch of liberal journalists, including Juan Williams, who went ahead and talked about it on the Fox News website. And he says, yeah, you know, the White House is in full fight mode. They're going to fight for Obamacare. And who are they fighting? They are fighting against us. They are fighting against the American people who do not want this. We're starting to see through it. I mean, you taught, you know, if you listened to my show last week, you heard some of the statistics. Yeah, Obama says that 100,000 and some odd actually went to the website and enrolled, but I think a lot of those people haven't paid yet. They've chosen plans, but I don't think they've actually enrolled. There's sticker shock everywhere. They're saying, oh, you mean we have to pay for it and this is what it's going to cost? People are not happy. People are having their plans canceled. They're getting up in arms about that. It's basically over. Now, the only answer, the only possible answer to this whole thing is a total repeal. They need to get government out of the healthcare industry entirely, and a total repeal of Obamacare is the right place to start. But thanks to Bosch Faustin for creating that graphic for me. You know, I sent this link to the knockout post to Drudge yesterday. And if you looked at the headline on Drudge Report today, I'm actually going to go ahead and see if it's still there. I think I think it is. I see the same picture of McConnell and Reed hanging out there. Senate knockout game. I sent Drudge my Obamacare as knockout game post yesterday, and I'm thinking that might have had a little bit of an effect, not that I got a share of my post. That would have been really nice. 
if he would have shared the post and, and seen that connection or shown, you know, that I saw the connection first. But anyway, let's go back to our plans for today's show. Um, in terms of the percentage of people who want repeal or substantial alteration, as I said, that's 93%. The president is now enjoying the lowest approval rating ever. A new CNN poll has his disapproval at 56%. 56%. Obama, seeing the way that the wind is blowing, I guess is going to, again by fiat in some way, delay Obamacare enrollment for the 2015 term until after the 2014 elections. Convenient, right? Convenient. Why? Because he knows that this is hurting him, that this issue is hurting him, and that he better scramble quick if he's going to, A, implement Obamacare like, like he wants to, including get all those people enrolled on Medicaid like I talked about last week. Remember, I said there's nearly 400,000 that were already enrolled in Medicaid. His goal is to get people into the single-payer system as quickly as possible, including either getting them into an Obamacare exchange plan, not a private insurance plan that complies with Obamacare, but actually have you sign up for the subsidies for an actual Obamacare exchange program. They want you on those programs, and, and there's a variety of reasons we'll talk about with, uh, with those today. But now they say that they're going to go ahead and delay the enrollment of Obamacare for 2015 until November 15, 2014, right after the, the elections. And then enrollment's going to last until January 15. Now they're saying, I guess they're doing this because of the delay for right now. But how convenient is it that they're not going to have to see the sticker shock of what the premiums are going to be in 2015 because you know they're going to go up? and that more and more people are going to be shoved onto the exchanges, more and more people are going to have to pay more, other people are going to be forced into Medicaid and other things because they're not going to be able to afford the price of an Obamacare exchange program. So he is desperate, and of course the worst of desperate measures is the one that we're going to talk about later today, which is the Senate Democrats going for the nuclear option. So as I said, Obama's approval rating has has sunk to a new low. His approval rating is hovering around 41%, I think that's right, between 40 and 42%. Um, and then the disapproval rating is 56%. I'm guessing that there's some people in there who are just undecided or something, but there are a lot of people out there that are saying, what in the world? There's 44% who can't bring themselves to disapprove of Obama after all this. I think it shows that there's something seriously, seriously wrong with, uh, you know, the American people that after all of this, they don't disapprove of him. Says 50% believe that congressional Republicans will have more influence over the direction the nation takes in the next year, while only 42% are saying that the president will have more influence. Maybe that was before the nuclear option was invoked, right? Uh, 47% want Obama to be in charge, while 45 said the GOP should have more influence. So they, they want him to be in charge? It's weird. They disapprove, but they want him to be in charge. This poll is all over the place, but... Um, 
that what they do say is a historic high, 56% questions say they disapprove of Obama's performance, an all-time high in CNN surveys. And all I can say is well-deserved, well-deserved. And I hope it's more, you know, the, the disapproval, I hope it's more than just, oh, well, we said if you like your plan, you can keep your plan, and now we're not. It, it's more than just a lie. Maybe they're starting to get a taste of what Obama really has in mind with his egalitarian agenda. So I hope it's more than just the dishonesty that that's going on there. If you listen to Tammy Bruce, she actually has a um, you know a column over at WashingtonTimes.com, and it's called "Why Are Women So Over Obama?" and um, or why are but why why women are? She's going to explain to you why not. She's not asking why. And it's more than just he lied. She does start out with the idea that he, you know, we don't trust him anymore. Uh, we're disillusioned with him, and then therefore we distrust him. It's degenerating into distrust because he lied. But then she is saying that the women are starting to realize that Obamacare is actually a threat to your freedom of choice in healthcare. Says the women's votes in 2010 confirmed a rejection of the effort to nationalize that most private aspect of our lives, our relationship with our doctors. Tammy Bruce, if you know, she was a former uh, leftist feminist. She actually was a liberal feminist, although she said that the liberal feminist movement never quite embraced her because they knew that she wasn't somebody really to tow the liberal feminist party line. And of course, she ended up not. She ended up coming over to the more conservative, maybe sort of libertarian side. But, um, he, you know, she said, what was Obama's reaction to the rejection? He says, de- she says, determined to quell women's fears of higher prices and losses of choice and privacy. He doubled down on the rhetoric we now know was a lie, which is that you can keep your doctor if you want to. You can keep your plan if you like it, period, etc." And then she says, as many critics of Obamacare predicted, however, in order to curb costs, massive numbers of doctors are not included in the majority of the Obama-compliant insurance plans, and major hospitals throughout the country have either opted out or are not included in the new system. Pregnant women are being thrown off their existing policies and told to choose another, quote, better plan, etc., And she says, the unfolding realities, I'm skipping down a bit, of Obamacare and its destruction of health insurance plans and personal patient-doctor relationships confirm women's fears that health insurance under Obamacare is not superior, but is quite inferior to health care they were free to choose before this regrettable law was in force. What women voted against in 2010 has come true, and we're not happy about it. Uh, she says, this may come as a surprise to Mr. Obama and the people in his inner circle, but women's health care involves more than sound bites and pithy one-liners. As far as I'm concerned, Obama must be living in another dimension, or at least he's two-faced, because the face that he presents to us in his speeches, it sounds like he thinks everything's peachy keen, fine and dandy, everybody still loves him, and he's riding on a mandate from 2012. But if you look at what he's actually doing, He's, in order to get things done, putting out executive orders because he knows he can never get any piece of legislation of any significance passed through the Senate and the uh, the House. He is now invoking the nuclear option in the Senate so he can get some things done through the Senate, 
like confirmed new judges for the D.C. Circuit, which we'll listen, you know, we'll hear about a little bit in the, in, uh, in a while here. But, you know, he, like I said, sometimes it seems like he is made ignorant and that people in his inner circle must keep him ignorant. But then on the other hand, he seems like he knows what's up and he's taking all sort of last-ditch efforts to get as much done as possible before the 2014 elections. And again, that's what delaying the enrollments till 2015 for the 2015 term of Obamacare, delaying those till after the election, that's what that is all about. It's trying a last-ditch effort to save whatever chance the Democrats might have in the election you know basically they expect you the american people you'll finally get enrolled in whatever health care plan that you're going to get enrolled in whether it's going to be through healthcare.gov if it ever works or some other means of doing that the nightmare all the forms you're going to have to fill out maybe your identity is going to be perhaps compromised because there's going to be a glitch. I mean, all the things that are the hassles. He's expecting you to forget that by the time the elections roll around. And then you're not going to have to face it again until after the election. It's the same reason they space out the income tax, right? You you pay your income tax about as far away within the course of a year from the time of elections as possible. We pay in April. We vote in November. And I agree with Mark Levin and others who have said, hey, you should put the income tax right before the elections. You should have people feel the pain, see how much money that they have. Of course, you know, most of the time people are are getting refunds, refunds. Why? Because so much money has been taken from them through the course of the year. And then you get back some small pithy fraction of it. Right. But if you actually read your income tax return and you don't just go to H&R Block and have some guy fill it out for you while you're unconscious sitting there on your iPhone or something, if you actually look and see how much money has been withheld from you and what pithy fraction of it you're getting back and then you have to go vote, I'm thinking you would vote a little bit more conservative, Republican, assuming that the Republicans even stand for lower taxes anymore. I've got a call here, and I think, if I'm right, it might actually be Bosch Faustin calling in, even though he couldn't be here today. This will be cool. Hi, Bosch. Hi, is that you? I just just wanted to uh, interrupt you from afar. Sure. (laughs) No, you know what? It was was basically about, I don't like talking about race. I don't, but we're we're forced to. And Mm -hmm. uh, the Obama administration, from day one, they basically let go of the... uh, they uh, let the Black Panthers get away with that voter intimidation. Since day one, they've been allowing basically uh, black criminals uh, this. They've been allowing race, race problems to go to get worse than ever. And that's why none of them say a word about these attacks, about the uh, knockout attacks, which are all done by blacks, by, by black teenagers. Uh, and if there, if, 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 if there was a case where it wasn't, they would have they'd be blasting the news across the, I mean, top, you know, the top stories would be about that. that there was a non-black uh, uh, perpetrator of this of this horrific crime. That's all. I just want to I just want to mention it's you know it's, it's a touchy touchy issue. Race. I, I know that. You like to talk about it. I don't like to talk about it. You know, I think I think you would very much enjoy Sunny Loman's recent video that she just has posted at the Daily Caller, and Good. it's it, it's it's all about the race issue. That if you criticize Obama. 
you're a racist. Uh, she says that you, we should, uh, that Obama should hire Oprah as his press secretary, and then she would just say, if anybody is critical of him, oh, you're a racist, and then the press conference would be over, and that would be all there she's, is to it. Um, well, she's right about that. That's no, not funny. I, I don't, but 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 you know the point that she makes is look there, are, it's about the policies, and of course yeah. she puts as a as the example of the the fascist of all fascists, everybody knows Adolf Hitler, but yeah. I mean what Obama is doing is not really any different. I mean this is total fascism yeah. with respect to the healthcare industry. He Absolutely. is. I mean, supposedly, nomin- you know, nominally, nominally, there are still private health care insurance companies, right? Mm-hmm. There is a story that I shared on Facebook last week where uh, there's a hint of an offer of bailing out insurance companies if Obama's policies are causing them financial difficulty. But we all know what happens after a bailout, right? If they get a bailout, yeah. there's more federal control and eventually... Yeah. nationalization of all insurance companies. Once they nationalize insurance companies, then you have single payer. So, you know, this idea that we have anything private left, I don't know. No, Obama has executed the weaklings of this country perfectly. He knew they were out there. He targeted them, and he got them. Whether it's the Republicans, whether it's voters, whether it's uh, supporters, he knew that he had his chance, that the left finally had their chance to take us out. And he yeah. has done uh, a mass job in that sense. He knew. I mean, he could smell it. He smelled victory, and he took it. And this rat is, uh, you know, and, and Mark, Mark Levin says something. It's absolutely true. He goes, these polls, they're terrible for Obama. Does he give a damn? He will still do what he does. He, he's not running for office again. He's not running, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't care. I mean, if he gets no. down to 20, possibly he might start to feel a little like, you know, because he has three years left. Besides, I'm not really... I just, uh, I don't know. This is, this the only, the only thing, I mean, the only thing that I would hope, right, that the polls are going to have an effect on is the Democrats, the other Democrats who are still trying to get elected, their willingness to go along with his policies, right? Yeah. So, yeah, now right. it's, it's... That's the only thing that might stop them to some extent, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even some of the Democrats, and, you know, there have been stories out this week that a number of Democrats, some of the liberal media, that they are abandoning Obamacare, that they're no longer so right. enthralled and positive about Obamacare. I think there was a Time magazine cover that I saw posted on Drudge to that effect that the you know, right. promises are broken. And it's true. I mean, that is one thing that on a very basic level, Americans will get upset about is being betrayed, being lied to. Right. right. But, and, you know, but, and that's one thing, I mean, they, the people who voted for him, the idiots who, who voted for him, especially the, uh, the uh, two-time voters, I call two-timing voters, they, they, they've two-timed America, they uh, believed him. They actually believed this guy. And yeah. this, they, they got betrayed. They actually believed him. There's one guy said, he's the only guy I trusted in Washington. I mean, that's impossible to me. It's impossible more to actually think that once they know anything about Obama. But he did, and now he's really pissed off. And you don't do that to people. Even if you think they're idiots and they're voting for you, like them, uh, people will take exception to that, great exception, and get them, no matter what the, the, the color of the skin, no matter why they voted for them. Right. And one, one last thing about that, I'm sorry, I just got to go, but one, one last thing about that, uh, you mentioned uh, Sonny has a video, which I definitely got to watch. But uh, these things, they are race-based. Uh, there are white people 
being attacked specifically for their race. They're not doing this to black people. They're not doing it to white you're tra- people. You're, tra- you're talking about to... the knockout game, right? You're talking yeah. about the knockout I, game? I, I went back to the knockout game, sorry, because uh, uh, Sonny's video you mentioned. And it was, uh, in some areas, it's, it's called whiteout, something like that, I think, is a term that they might use. I might be wrong. But I, I think, think pol- polar a, bear something is a term that yeah, I've read. Yeah, polar, polar bear hunting, and also knockout the Jew in Brooklyn, I think, in New York somewhere. So they have different little things, but they're all targeting uh, white people of some kind. And that is absolute, hardcore, lethal racism. Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, Oprah Winfrey, Barack Obama will never, ever, ever, ever talk out against because, as Alan West said, they don't profit from that. They can't push their agenda by that. They can't do that because they're like, well, there's black racism today, and they're getting away with murder, literally. And that is unacceptable. So let's, let's well, hopefully, hopefully they're not getting all. away. From, hopefully they're not getting away with it. I heard that there's been a number of arrests, and what one guy, yeah. one actually got shot because the yeah. intended vic- victim that. was a concealed carry right. person. But, so but sometimes people are just. I guess they knock them to the uh, concrete. They're, they they crack their skull. I guess they bleed to death. And uh, I guess the perpetrators aren't, aren't aren't found. Some of them. So some of them are getting away with murder. And and again, Alan West said uh, they don't profit from this, so they don't give a damn. It's like, what color is the victim? Oh, well, it depends on the color of the victim. Period. This is sick stuff. It is absolutely evil. And you you said it perfectly. You said this. Um, How'd you put it? You said this. Disgusting, um, disgusting and evil, because disgusting and evil are not the same thing. I, I can think of things yeah. that would disgust me, just like I get disgusted by weird spiders or no, too much so, gore. So you I, know. Mean, I mean, having, having it done to you is one thing, yeah, disgusting. of course, but you're, you're knocked out. If you're walking down the street and you see something happen, like a woman's walking down the street, you see this uh, gang of uh, black teens and they walk up and they smash this person from the back of their head and they... No, I mean it's just, it's it's shocking. The videos are shocking. And and uh, and to call and to epidemic. call it a game and to call it a game. To call it you a know? game. This is absolute evil. And also, small thing. It reminds me of Muslims post 9/11 and for, and for attacks against Israel when they celebrate these things. And uh, the one video that we saw with the guy, the, the foul-mouthed black guy, who was basically condemning them, but he said, uh, "Look at these people. They're celebrating. They're 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 almost giddy about it." And there, there's a book called uh, "White Girl Bleed a Lot." And that's what one of the um, scum who was celebrating the the attack, a, a girl's, I guess she was, she was bleeding profusely, and she says, white girl bleed a lot, and that's the name of a book about this horrific uh, epidemic going, going across the country. It's going across the country now. Yeah. Anyway, I just have to mention that it's sick, it's twisted, and it's evil. And, it, you know, it's because of the, of the climate right now with Barack Obama and his whole gang. And, no, I mean, this, this uh, is one where thing. Where this thing is this not is... issue. A huge dereliction of duty on his part is that he does not speak out against Never. these crimes. Obama, no. President of the United States, if he said two things, but as I recall, the remarks that he made in conjunction with the George Zimmerman case, right. those yeah. only yeah. serve to inflame this sort of thing. Absolutely. He, and that's why, and you know what, within the last, I don't know, within the last year or two, the last year it really picked up. It really picked up. I mean, this is this happened for like a, a few years. Thomas Sowell wrote an article about that for a few years, but now it has picked up big time because now they have some moral sanction of some kind. They have the silence of, of Obama as their ally. And yeah. a lot of them think it's, it's open season now. Open season on, on Whitey. 
One story story that we have to follow is the potential impeachment of Eric Holder, because Eric Holder is one of the ones who has refrained from prosecuting in some of the race-related cases and stuff like that. So we'll have to to follow up on that. He's a hardcore racist. He's a race hustler, racist, as is Obama. Obama has, you know, chosen, even though he's mixed race, he's chosen to side with, um, I guess, the black part of him. And be a but see, this is, this is the whole thing. It's like it, it should it shouldn't be sides and everything else. I mean, he <laughs> should, he, particularly he's, a, he's a, a president of mixed America. race. Yeah, he, he's president. I mean, he, 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 he could have he could have brought the country together in a way that no one ever ever could have. I mean, he could yeah. have in that sense. If, if we had some serious problems that they pretend that we have, look, there was there was some racism is no longer institutional. It's racism is institutionalized racism. There was no longer that. Um, but he could have really just nipped in the bud and said, look, Americans have elected me as the first black president. This is important, and this is why, blah, blah, blah. you know. Instead, um, they pretended that it didn't matter until Election Day. Then if you, if you remember, first black, they, that's all they were talking about. And still they bring it up today like Oprah, the old day, the racist pig, Oprah, talking about the only reason why people, people criticize him is because of his race. That is so Right, racist. exactly, exactly, exactly. Anyway, anyway I, I'm... I'm I'm sorry to bring up the issue. I think it's important. I think it's it's uh, just it's, it's just another that... depressing thing. You know, it's so funny over here in the in the chat room. You didn't you don't get to see the chat room now because you're not here, unfortunately. But Matt in the chat room says, "Happy Friday." <laughs> I said, "Well, yeah. maybe for you." And I'm trying to joke about it, but the news is just bad. There's all there's it all is, this racism. There's 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 targeting people with senseless crime based on their I mean, race, which is horrible. Killing them killing them for a game and and bragging about it and celebrating it this is evil i mean it's just shocking it really is and uh, again obama speaks about everything he he mentions he basically gets wades in on anything but this he'll he'll be uh silent yeah because it's not important i mean americans are dying you know there's so far i've been yeah, seven cool. seven have been killed so far. Now, um, I don't know if you if you still want to hang on or if we let you go, but I was just going to make a point about the issue of hate crime, so called hate crime, yeah. and. There might be a bunch of us now who say, "Oh well, look, we should call these hate crimes, mm-hmm. and then we should pro- we should prosecute these yeah. under the hate crime statute." And blah. No, these are crimes that are that are wrong simply because of what they are. It is wrong to physically assault another yeah. human being. The only Absolutely way that you are right. entitled, you know, in a proper society to use force is in self-defense. Clearly, this knockout game isn't anything close to self-defense. No, uh, you know, no this is the, not assault. The, the one thing, and do you, do you remember the, the foul mouth uh, black guy who had the video? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what his name was, though? I don't remember at all. Anyway, uh, whoa, what? Whoa, whoa, something, something, whoa, hold on. Something, something, Sotomayor. Something Sotomayor. Yeah, something Sotomayor. That's right. He calls himself something Sotomayor. Last name is Sotomayor, yeah. Which is interesting. But, because yeah. I think of the Supreme Court justice. But right. one thing I did, I did not like at all that he said is he says, well, it would be one thing if they were doing this as some part of a movement. Yes, a you know, revolution. Like right. some part of yeah. a revolution. I was like, revolution yeah. based on what? What Absolutely. in the world would it be? You know, what, what would justify right now? Black There is no possible Nothing. justification, and Nothing. now they feel like they don't even need a justification. They're just doing this knockout game. I gotta go. You gotta go. Okay, that's fine. I gotta go. Thank, yeah, thanks, good thanks talking. Very much. I had to interrupt you. I had to interrupt you, even if I wasn't there. <laughs> thanks right, for doing care, it. Everyone. Okay, Bye. take care. Bye bye. 
Um, you know, but this thing about trying to go after it as a hate crime, I would object to doing that. No questions asked. It is a crime to initiate force against anyone else. I don't care what the motive is. We don't go into giving you an increased sentence because of motives. The, the government should not be looking at what your motive is for doing anything that you're doing. They should be able to look at your physical action and say, do you have a right to engage in whatever physical action that you're doing or not? And the one physical action that government should be concerned with is initiation of force. Now, there are indirect forms of initiation of force like fraud, but otherwise it is you know, reducible to these certain actions that you're taking that you are not entitled to take. You have no right to take against a fellow human being. And that's where the criticism is. In terms of you being out on the street, being aware of what's going on, statistically, it's good to know that there is this thing going on that seems to be a fad among young black teenagers right now called the knockout game. Just keep reading the stories. There are some people who deny even the existence of it, but there has been enough reporting on it from reliable news sources, including the reporting of over seven deaths and several news sources to show that it is actually a little fad that's going on. And it's just scary. So I just tell you really for your own uh, protection. But no, you know, you don't condemn it because of the race of the people. You condemn it because of the action that it is. And that's that's all there is to it. But the idea that, you know, in 2013, we have people initiating force against other people simply because of the color of their skin, I think is is horrifying. Let's see what we got here now. Uh, five minutes with Robert Nasir in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio says that motive is properly only taken into account after prosecution. Yeah, now you would look for motive, means, and opportunity as elements of a crime, but you don't look at motive as some re, you know thing that you're going to go ahead and look and, and define it as a new crime. Motive could be part of a crime that you have to show that somebody actually did have motive, which means that you've done it, you have intent to actually take this action, that you did it in, you know, uh, intentionally, that you didn't do accidentally. Um, there are people who unfortunately have accidentally killed other people or done it through negligence and stuff, and these are different crimes. So motive in terms of intent, yes, but in terms of whether you had a motive out of a hate for a particular race, or whether it was just kind of a hate-filled thing as such that might get you a murder two versus murder one. I, you know, I forget all the different classifications, but motive in terms of whether it was done out of hate for a particular group and stuff, government has no business doing this. So I would not, I would be completely against the idea that we're going to call these hate crimes. They are just senseless, horrible, evil, disgusting crimes. Tim in the chat room says, yes, the object of the game is just to knock them out. Yeah, the whole thing. You have to show how strong and tough you are that you can knock somebody out with a single punch. Therefore, you show that you are macho. It is assault, as as, uh, Five Minutes with Robert Nasir in the chat room says there over here at Blog Talk Radio. If you'd like to call in and talk, as Bosch did, don't worry about interrupting me, 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. I wanted to talk a little bit about the personal toll, the toll 
that it takes on your values when government intervenes in the healthcare industry. And I'm pointing you to an article that I have at my blog, don'tletitgo.com, under the program notes for today's show. It is an article from the Independent UK. And I have to go to the Independent UK version of this article because if you go to the Fox News, you know, Fox News, Fair and Balanced, supposedly sort of conservative, if you go to the Fox News version of this article, there's a crucial piece of information missing from the article. The article's headline is Superbugs, you know, those yucky MRSA bacteria and all those things. Superbugs could erase a century of medical advances, experts warn. And it says that doctors are issuing new warnings of the devastating effects of overprescribing antibiotics for trivial ailments. You've heard this for years. This is nothing new, but apparently there's a new, more insistent warning about this. And I think it's timed very well because of the fact that we're going to go into the era of Obamacare. And I think in the era of Obamacare, you're going to see potentially more indiscriminate prescribing of antibiotics because you're going to have doctors who aren't going to want to make as nuanced judgments about your illness. Uh, Here's the article. It says, drug-resistant superbugs represent one of the gravest threats in the history of medicine, leading experts have warned. Routine operations could become deadly in the very near future as bacteria evolve to resist the drugs we use to combat them. This process could erase a century of medical advances, say government doctors, in a special editorial in the Lancet Health Journal says, although the looming threat of antibiotic or antimicrobial resistance has been known about for years, the new warning reflects growing concern that the NHS and other national health systems already under pressure from aging populations will struggle to cope with the rising cost of caring for people in the so-called post-antibiotic era. And then there's a chief medical officer in England, deputy chief medical officer. He says that, quote, I am concerned that in 20 years, if I go into a hospital for a hip replacement, I could get an infection leading to major complications and possible death simply because antibiotics no longer work as they do now. It says in England, about 35 million antibiotics are prescribed every year and that the more the drugs circulate, the more the bacteria are able to evolve, etc., Now, listen to this. It says, with a constant production line of new classes of antibiotics, then the development, the drug development, could keep pace with the evolving microbes. However, as only the Independent UK is writing in the article, again, Fox News told, you know, chose not to excerpt this portion. It says, the drugs have ceased to be profitable, and a new class has not been created since, 1987. A new class of antibiotics has not been created since 1987. So let me tell you the personal toll that this can take. I have a family member who was recently prescribed antibiotics just for, you know, something routine. And it turned out that this person had a reaction to the antibiotic an allergic reaction with the rash and the whole stuff. And this is common with respect to some of the antibiotics. As I understand it, and I I don't know for sure, I have to hear uh, back from this person in their doctor visit, but um, that could rule out that class of antibiotics for this person for the rest of their lives because they're having this allergic reaction. 
So think about having a whole class of antibiotics ruled out for you and the fact that there hasn't been a new one created since 1987 because government intervention in prescription drug market in the healthcare industry has made it so it is no longer profitable to develop a new class of antibiotics. And just imagine how screwed you are, right? This is terrible. This is terrible. This whole superbug thing that they keep warning about is avoidable, right? I mean, it's not like hurricanes and tornadoes and things like this. We know things that we can do to actually keep ahead of the pace of the mutation of these bugs. And we're not doing it. Why? Because it's not profitable. And do you think it's going to become any more profitable under Obamacare? The American healthcare industry was one of the freest and the best. We were the place that everybody came to when they needed healthcare treatment that they couldn't get anyplace else. And now Obama is destroying it with one knockout punch, namely Obamacare. And even though Americans don't want it, in poll after poll after poll, overwhelmingly people want either major revisions to it or they want it repealed entirely. Almost half Americans want it repealed entirely. He's pressing on. He's calling Juan Williams. He's calling his other liberal media lackeys to the White House. And he's telling them, press on, press on, continue to shove this garbage down the American people's throat. I've just got to get a few more million people. What does he want? He wants 5.4 million more people enrolled in Medicaid. If he can get all the governors to follow suit to Kasich in uh, Ohio. Thank you, turncoat Kasich. So, you know, imagine, and this is true, that, and, the, and the only reason that this is a problem is because there's no more profit motive in the drug industry. Put the profit motive back in the drug industry, and people, of course, will continue to de- develop new antibiotics. Why? Because this is scary. The idea that you could go in for a routine surgery, get an infection that is not treatable, I, I know someone else actually, not you know, who has any particular alert, you know, allergy to an antibiotic or anything. But I know someone who went in for a breast cancer uh, surgery, a, a reconstruction after breast cancer, and ended up getting a terrible infection and had to go back for more and more surgeries. And I'm waiting to see if this person is uh, completely now free of the infection. It is very scary. It is happening now. So, you know, this idea that doctors are going to sit back and just write articles and not lobby for a full repeal of government involvement, any government involvement in the healthcare industry, it, it's obscene. It's truly obscene. They think they're going to help people by keeping a socialized medicine system in place. They think they're going to help people by regulating the drug market to the extent that it's no longer profitable to create new antibiotics. And, you know, if, if you think really that I'm uh, exaggerating about what the effect is going to be under Obamacare, I'm going to refer you to the next article that I have over at my blog, don'tletitgo.com. I want you to check it out over there. And it is uh, doctors concerned about pay scales under healthcare law. This is the other thing that's gotten me this week. This is from McClatchy, D.C., Many doctors are disturbed that they'll be paid less, often a lot less, 
to care for the millions of patients who were projected to buy coverage through the health law's new insurance marketplaces. And again, yeah, the website isn't up now. We don't know when it's going to be working, but more and more people are being kicked off their plans. More and more people are being forced onto exchanges. Obama, you know, in his infinite wisdom and in his generosity, gave everybody a reprieve last week and said, oh, insurance companies, you can continue to sell your plans through 2014, you know, till after the 2014 elections. And then he says, well, but the insurance commissioners still have to decide. First of all, it's a farce. Like I said, you know, how in the world can these insurance companies expect to just switch course midstream? They can't. But in addition, a number of the state insurance commissioners are saying no. California said no, for example. So if you got a cancellation notice in California, I think after February 2014 or something, you're going to be forced onto an Obamacare compliant plan. Maybe you might have to purchase something on the exchange if you have been uh, insured through a company that was that's no longer going to be doing individual plans in California at all. If you already have an individual plan, I think sometimes they put you onto a plan without you having to go and enroll in an exchange plan. But more and more people, they're going to enroll here, and then they're saying that the doctors are going to be paid very little. And let's give you some numbers. Let's give you some numbers as to what these doctors are going to be paid. Supposedly, Medicare as just a sample in some places, pays $90 for an office visit of a complex nature. A commercial plan, suppose in this example, pays $100 or more for a similar office visit. It says some exchange plans are offering $60 or $70 for the same visit. We're talking about doctors on Obamacare exchange plans being paid less than they're currently being paid under Medicare. And that's already a problem for doctors. Many doctors refuse to see Medicare patients because of the pay rates and the fact that it's so hard to get paid sometimes at all when they fill out their paperwork. Imagine that they're going to be paid less under the Obamacare exchange than they would be paid under Medicare. I think I think that's horrible. So if, if you think that somehow... Obamacare is not going to affect the profitability of creating new uh, you know, classes of antibiotics. Not at all. I expect that it's going to be less profitable than before and that we are going to continue. I, I was actually surprised when I saw that article that there hasn't been a new class of antibiotics created since 1987. That is a long time. We need to have one created. I don't know. Maybe we need to start a Kickstarter and help one of these drug com- you know, companies make it profitable to create a new class of antibiotics. I don't know really what else to do, but this is a huge problem. It is a solvable problem, and it's a problem created by government intervention. Government intervention has a real cost. Many doctors are not going to be on these exchange plans. You've seen story after story of cancer patients losing access to the doctors that have been treating them and saving their lives because of Obamacare, these liberals don't care. You know, you tell them that and it's like, oh, well, that's just a few people. But look, all of these other people are going to get all this great health insurance. BS. Many of them are still not going to get health insurance. They're not going to be able to afford it. They're not going to know how to go to a website and sign up or they're not going to want to. They don't want to give their information to a government website. 
understandably. And then once they get on these plans, there's not going to be any doctors to treat them anyway. They're going to have to wait more. Oh, they have to wait a little bit more, you know. Oh, who cares? It it matters. It matters a lot, especially if you have an urgent condition uh, for which you could normally see a doctor the same day. I, I think that kind of thing is going to go away. Let's see what we got here going in the chat room. Now we're talking about Cruz. Ted Cruz as our hope. That's the discussion that's going on in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, we hold out hope for Cruz. Cruz is the only one who keeps saying we need a full repeal. (laughs) Elliot in the chat room says repeal it fully, douse it in kerosene, light it up, burn it to a crisp, and piss on the ashes. (laughs) Maybe not quite the way I would say it, but I will uh, definitely agree with the sentiment there. Five Minutes with Robert Nasir says, as we move from the world of Atlas Shrugged to the world of Anthem, that's depressing, two aspirin will be the equivalent of the candle with advanced medicine and impossible forgotten dream like a light bulb. I mean, the thing I was thinking, Robert, was that they're going to prescribe these antibiotics because they're too lazy to actually see what's wrong. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, you have a fever. Here, let's give you some antibiotics. So I think the indiscriminate prescribing of the drugs is a side effect of socialized medicine or government involvement in medicine because doctors just don't have the time and resources to spend quality time with patients anymore. So just yeah, give them antibiotics. Then the other thing is that making the new antibiotics, creating new classes of antibiotics is going to be less and less profitable. So we are completely screwed. I mean, basically, I guess the... Uh, I was going to say the antibiotics will be as effective as aspirin, but I think aspirin's still pretty darn effective. It's not the kind of thing whose effect wears off with some sort of, it's not like headaches mutate. Headaches are headaches are headaches, right? Let's see what else we got here. Now, Cruz, could Christie beat Hillary? You know, I, I don't know if it makes any difference whether we get Chris Christie or Hillary. Maybe Chris Christie could beat Hillary, but will we be much better off? We're not going to get a full repeal of Obamacare. I think the only hope to repeal Obamacare is to get Cruz in 2016. Who else could it be? Oh, God, somebody's talking about a Hillary Warren ticket in 2016. I could see that. Ugh. And if you talk about New York City electing de Blasio, and I guess de Blasio went to a meeting and told people that he's about the heavy hand of government. He's basically letting them know what's up, what's coming. I think the real estate industry is telling them he's for the heavy hand of government. Watch real estate prices drop in New York City. And then there's uh, some woman who just got elected in Seattle to the city council. And I forget her name. I'm not really able to pronounce it easily. But she is an out-and-out socialist. She's from India. Out-and-out socialist telling people at Boeing, I think, that they should nationalize their company. These are the kind of people that are getting elected in the United States in 2013. I don't know. I mean, you know, again, seeing these opinion polls about Obama, seeing him tank in the polls is heartening. But at the same time, you see New York elect de Blasio, you see Seattle elect an out-and-out socialist to the city council, It's depressing. And and then you start to think that if there is a ticket like Hillary Warren, Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, the one who says you didn't build that, 
Why? Because the government helped you by having roads so that your employees could get to work and paying for the education for your employees so they could work for you. So you didn't build that. Total Rawlsian, egalitarian, nihilist. And Hillary with her? I don't know. That might be too radical for the American people even. And I think Hillary herself, she could maybe dupe them the same way that Obama has duped the American people. If Warren and she actually said what she thought for the whole United States, I don't know. If if it is, I mean, then we're way off. We're way worse off than I thought. I actually happen to think that Ted Cruz might have a chance, but now Ted Cruz, in terms of having any real effect in the Senate, now that they've decided to go for the nuclear option in some cases, and now they've opened the door, created the precedent for going for the nuclear option in other cases. I don't know. Call 760-888-5817 if you would like to chime in. I mean, the thing that I really wanted to communicate was the tremendous toll that Obamacare is going to take on our economy, on the American way of life. I think people are sensing it. And nonetheless, Obama is pressing on enlisting the media to go out and continue to sell it instead of actually even opening himself to amending it legislatively. Because I think he knows. I think he knows that if a legislative process is started by which they're going to even modify Obamacare, that there's going to be substantial changes that could ruin his plans for getting everybody onto a single-payer system. So what he'd rather do is unconstitutionally tinker with it via either administrative ruling, executive order, pronouncement during a press conference. I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't even know if it goes to trouble anymore. Does he even bother writing down executive orders, or does he just go to a press conference, say a few things, tell people to take notes and, and do his bidding? Is that how we legislate these days? I, I mean, you know, I, I really don't know. Robert NYC is one of the people whom I've thought about with respect to New York. And, yeah, you asked the question, what are people in New York City going to do under de Blasio? He says he's going to stay and fight the good fight, and he has too many other values there in New York City. New York City has survived it in the past, but I don't know if they've survived the likes of de Blasio. Robert, I'll leave it to you because you know the history of the city much better than I do. But has any elected politician in New York City gone into a meeting with real estate professionals or whoever it was he was speaking to and said, yeah, I'm for the heavy hand of government. Just come in and said, yep, I'm all about government force and I'm just going to wield it wherever my egalitarian sentiments push me. He says he's going to call in about that because I would definitely like to hear your perspective. Actually, he might be calling in just about why he's going to stay in New York. But I also want to hear if there has ever been any politician as blatantly egalitarian socialist as de Blasio. Matt in the chat room says, not just the hand of government, the brutal hand. What is government? Again, government intervention everywhere is force. Government intervention in healthcare right now is force. Obama, he was just talking out of his ass. I'm sorry, I'm cussing. He was talking out of his ass last week when he said that people by going to the Obamacare website, by going to healthcare.gov and by enrolling, 
they were showing that there is a demand for quality, affordable health care. And I call BS, BS, BS. Why? Because people have been told it is a mandate. They must buy this product. You cannot say, oh, I mandated you buy the product. Therefore, when you come to my website, I'm going to pronounce to the world that there is a demand for my product. No way. There's a demand for Apple products. Okay, If you ordered an iPhone, the iPhone 5S, if you ordered it on the day that it was released through the website, you ordered it on, I think it was September 20th or something, many people, moi included, did not get it until November 3rd. That's demand, Barack Obama. That's demand. You're listening to Don't Let It Go Unheard, and I've been complaining about Obamacare for the first hour. I've been asserting, making the case that Obamacare is like a knockout game on the American economy, on the American way of life. And I think that there's a very good case to be made that that is so. That Obama, why is this his signature piece of legislation? It is the piece of legislation that is going to do the most damage. When he said he was going to fundamentally transform America, if Obamacare is left in place, he will have done it. He will have effectively eventually nationalized the insurance industry and therefore pushed us into single payer. He will have exerted total control over the salaries that doctors can have. You know, you say, oh, well, who cares what they're paid under the Obamacare exchanges because after all, there are private insurance plans. Private insurance plans are an endangered species. As it is, there is no true insurance available. We've talked about that on the show before. There is no actual insurance, health insurance available. It is not legal to purchase health insurance after Obamacare anymore. Um, What you do now is you prepay for a bunch of health care, plus there's an insurance element that's tacked on to your, quote, health care plan. There is no health insurance. There are health care plans. That's all you can get anymore insofar as those are being offered by private companies with significantly less government control than the exchange programs, those are endangered species. Stay on one as long as you can. It will serve you. You'll have access to more doctors and hospitals, et cetera, et cetera. But I predict that if there isn't radical modification made to Obamacare soon, that those are going to end up being a thing of the past as well. And it's really frightening. It's really frightening. Again, imagine being that person told you have an allergy to an entire class of antibiotics. There's been no new class of antibiotics created since 1987. And there's a whole class that exists that's out of the question for you. That's scary. That is scary. But no, no, we can't take the reins off the healthcare industry because the evil profit motive of the drug company, blah, 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 blah. Profit is good. Profit is moral. Nobody, I mean, all these people who say, oh, don't have a profit. What if you told them, go to work and don't make money? Why is it that doctors and pharmaceutical companies are supposed to go to work and not make money? But all of us, I mean, yeah, we want to make money. More money, the better, right? Why do we all subscribe? You know, I don't do it, but a whole bunch of people subscribe to People Magazine and read about celebrity gossip. Why? Because you would like to be as rich and be able to concern yourself with only the kind of things that those people concern about. Now, not me personally. You know, if I had 
if I won the lotto tomorrow, I think I would be talking to you more than I than I do now. But other than that, I think my life would be pretty much the same. I wouldn't. I'd probably be able to know that if I got a horrible medical condition, maybe I could fly myself somewhere and buy some private health care. I don't know. So those kind of worries would be out. But I mean, I don't think my life would be that much different. But there's a lot of people who say no. I would love to have the money of a Miley Cyrus twerking away or money or whatever but whatever you'd like to have it right people they want money for themselves they think the doctors don't deserve it they think that pharmaceutical companies don't deserve it why because people need medical care okay so people need food too is it, are we going to nationalize food next i don't know I, I, you know, people are going to have to learn, and I think people are starting to learn. I think there was a poll recently where some people have actually started to realize that universal health care is not a proper goal of government, that it's not government's job to provide universal health care. If we get to that point, if we get to the point where people realize that health care is not a right and that it is not the government's job to provide universal health care, then the Ted Cruz's of the world who want repeal can succeed. Now, I've got a couple of calls here that I'm going to go ahead and answer. Let's see who is on this one first. Who's this? Hi, Amy. It is Robert. Hi, Robert. So even though de Blasio got elected, you're going to stay in New York City and, and tough it out. Why? Yes, I will. Well, I I still have too many too many values here, too, um, too used to the decline that's going on, and I don't think it will spiral uh, within, within the next four years under de Blasio, uh, spiral, you know, that much worse. It's just uh, New York has gone in cycles uh, through the course of my lifetime, and uh, there's there's still too many too many good things. I mean, I hearken back to when you had Yaron Brook on your show uh, a couple of months ago and, and talking about, you know, all the bad things that are going on, and there are still too many good things. And uh, historically, we would have had, if 9-11 didn't happen, we would have had Mark Green as the mayor, who was an ultra-environmentalist, uh, uh, really disgusting, as far to the left as de Blasio, except he probably didn't go to... Uh, this, support the Sandinistas, but he was really bad. But, but because 9-11 happened, that happened on the day of the primaries, all of a sudden New Yorkers switched to the right, and Bloomberg was to the right of, of Mark Green. And frankly, Bloomberg has just been a, you know, he's been a complete fascist for his whole time. So we're switching right. a fascist for a socialist, and uh, it's not a fundamental difference uh, that I see <clears throat> Um, the thing about New York is there's always an influx. There's always newcomers who want to come here and find ways to make money. And yes, they will get taxed out of existence, but it, it, it's, they, they tend to break through and there are some new good things that happen as a result. Now, crime is definitely going to go up. I'm prepared yeah, that, that. That, was, that, was my, that was my concern for you. What about your safety? Yeah. I, I, you know, as a lifelong New Yorker, I've known that. I grew up in the South Bronx. I lived in Harlem, so I know that. I put it this way: I know I will never be a you know sucker punch um, <laughs> myself victim, or whatever the you know whatever the the expression is myself. Mm-hmm. Now I do have a large family, and I do care about them, but uh, but 
you know that's that's kind of a risk that you take as as well and and one of the things about New York is that there are areas where you the stuff happens in certain places at certain times uh it's it's very rare that i uh, that i even witnessed in my whole lifetime that i actually even witnessed a crime it's only a handful of times so um so that you know that is a factor if i see it daily you know happening on a regular basis as part of you know my lifestyle then that would certainly affect me but for now i, I just i think there's still too many good things and i'm fighting you know i'm staying and fighting i'm not giving up in in the sense that uh yeah it's easier to live someplace else and let New York go you know go to to pot and the other thing is I know every day in my life there are you know there are people there are, <laughs> you know there are terrorists who want to bomb my city you know so I live with that on a regular basis no yeah and my i mean that's not doing enough exactly. it's not doing enough to to you know to defend me so all of those things are built in to the right. new york psyche or at least to mine and you know, consequently, those are reasons that I I plan to stay in fight. Yeah, I mean, this is probably just kind of the latest little extra thing. And you might say, I mean, New York City is such a great city that it's worth fighting for. And again, like the people who talk about leaving the United States because they think that they could have a freer, mm-hmm. a freer and better way of life elsewhere. I, I, I don't know that you could have any sort of enduring freedom and better mm-hmm. way of life except in United States and in terms of enjoying a great city probably nowhere else except New York City. So I I'm sympathetic there. One question before I let you go. I've got a couple other callers yeah. here. But mm-hmm. have you heard any other mayor speak like de Blasio did in terms of saying, "Oh yeah, I'm in favor of the heavy hand of government?" No, but, but no, not as explicitly, but again, Bloomberg is telling you what food you can eat. No, know, I know, from, I know, I know. But, you know, so he's, got, he's, got, he's got this veneer of, you know, we, we talked about this under evasion on, on the show before where he says, oh, well, I'm not forcing anything. And he totally ignores the force that he's exerting on the people who yeah. provide you the sodas or build the buildings and stuff. He, he's, I just yeah. want to nudge you to not drink as much soda. I want to nudge you to use the stairs more. But I'm not, I'm not forcing you. I'm just making it more convenient for you to buy a smaller soda mm-hmm. or take the staircase or whatever. But he, yeah, he does. He ignores the fact. So there's something not quite as blatantly evil about that, even as much as we complain about it, but it's, uh, it's shocking. Just hit, you know, it goes into a meeting. It's like, okay guys, I'm going to basically beat you up and kick you around a little bit. I mean, th- that's basically what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing, see, I, oddly enough, de Blasio, I, I, and I'll just say this, I know you do have other people to talk to, de Blasio is like Obama in, in two major scary senses. They were both totally untested, okay, and mm-hmm. they both are complete Marx, explicit Marxists, and that's a new phenomenon for America as a country and for New York as a city. And they could do a lot of damage by being novices because they don't know what they can't do and if you have a gullible media and a gullible public who, who tends to go along with that, you you get it spells for real disaster. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, thank you for calling, Robert. Are and you I, I I wish you the best. Of course, you're going to call in, uh, and we'll speak again during De Blasio's term, and we can see how things are going. But I wish you and everybody else in New York the best. Let's see who else we have on the line here. Hi, who's this? Hello. Hello. Hello, I can hear you now. Who is this? 
Hi, this is Matt. Oh, hey, Matt. Thanks for calling in again. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Have 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 I destroyed? What was it? The last week when I started talking about bad stuff, they called it the water torture segment. Were you the one who said that? No, I think it was maybe Elliot yeah, who said that. Yeah, I was. I was uh, <laughs> kind of borrowing that from from Mark Levin, but it's so true. He does the same thing where you know he talks about Obama, but or he plays Obama actually. But yeah, and I did say Happy Friday, but it's more just a product. I do have to focus on the good because there is so much bad. Otherwise, I just couldn't get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> We've we've got we've got a little bit of good towards the end of the show here. I'm going to make sure that we get to that. So, uh, were you calling about Obama and Obamacare, or were you calling? Yeah, about, absolutely. As yeah, the okay. concept of a knockout, I just I keep coming back to the, the simple fact that if the government can force you into a third party private contract to buy a product against your own will, and the only precondition of this is your metaphysical existence, I am not seeing any limits of what it can do. Yeah, the precedent is really, really frightening. I I agree. Because and, we and were the, told endlessly from from the liberal talking heads that oh well, car insurance over and over again. It's like well, I don't have to purchase a car, I don't have to drive, but exactly. I do have to breathe, I do have to live, and this is I mean this is an unprecedented precondition. Yeah, and and for Obama to go around and say hey, you know, people are coming to the website, and therefore it shows that there's a demand for this stuff. No, dummy, you pointed a gun to their head and told them they had to buy it. Um, yeah, the, uh, the silent alarm under the bank teller uh, it shows a demand for the police presence, but there's a gun to their head, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, to- it's totally nuts. And actually, he should be worried because of the small number of people who have gone relative to the number of people who probably need to buy insurance plans. I bet there's going to be a lot of people uninsured, and they're going to be fining them, and they're going to be getting all this, what, in their tax bills or something, and there should be a huge right. uproar. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I think you made a great point there, and that's what we were originally told when this whole thing first started, was that this was all about the 27 or 30 or whatever the number was, million people that didn't or couldn't get insurance, and now you never hear about those people and now you have everyone else who already had insurance being thrown off their plans. Like, wait a minute, I thought this was about insuring the uninsured, and now everyone who was insured is now uninsured? Right, and and the whole thing is we're all supposed to give up our insurance so that those people can have insurance, but then the joke is that there, there's just going to be about the same number probably of uninsured under Obamacare for a variety of reasons. But again, his whole goal get them on a single pair. And it was funny because, I mean, when he gave that speech last week that I, I you know, spoke about at length and tortured everybody with last week, he said, <laughs> he, he said, this is the important thing that everybody is ignoring, but it's really, really important. He was pointing everyone's attention to the fact that he got nearly 400,000 people added to Medicaid already. And it was nearly 300,000 of those came from, or maybe 250, between 250,000 and 300,000 of those came from Ohio alone, from Kasich. So he's, yeah. he, he, just, he just wants us to keep going. He wants everybody to act like John Kasich and step in line and do their part to get everybody on the Medicaid. Uh, screw the insurance companies. Hey, we'll bail you out, i.e. nationalize you if we're making your life difficult. We expect you to go away anyway. We don't want private insurance. It's just a sham. And and that's that's how it's going to go. So I, I think knockout game is a perfect metaphor for Obamacare with, you know, with respect it to the United really States. It's a, so, and I do think in wealth, one fell swoop that, that it could really destroy the country. I mean, it's a... It's it's a knockout. It's not like it's you know necessarily going to kill the country, but it could certainly knock us out for quite a while. 
Right. Well, and it's, it's just as uh, nihilistic as the knockout attacks. It's just exactly I mean, the reasoning. Exactly. The reasoning is and so it's it's there. Yes, and and you're exactly right. You know, if you if you read the dim hypothesis from Leonard Peikoff, he talks about the fact that this era, and Obama in particular, his administration is one of egalitarian nihilism, and so the things that Obama. Oh, yes, I've, I've read it. It's it's a great book. Yeah, they are, they are destructive. So these nihilist punks who are out there just hitting people as a game for the fun of it, no particular end in mind, that is the perfect instantiation of nihilism. So I, I think it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's perfect on many levels, unfortunately. So are you ready to steal yourself for the one more yucky, bad story that I really want to get into, delve into before we Discuss a little bit of good news at the end. I got I got to talk about the nuclear option stuff. Unfortunately, are you are oh, you great? Absolutely, braced? that was that that was something that stuck out to me yesterday. I just I couldn't believe that actually occurred. Yeah. Well, we've got we're going to go ahead and talk about it. And thank you, Matt, for calling. And Thanks please, for having me. And yeah, please do continue to call in again. We did have another caller online, but it looks like we've lost them now. If you do want to call in, go ahead and call us back here, 760-888-5817, and we will take the call. Yeah, everyone says, Dim Hypothesis, great read eye-opener there in the chat room. What I would hope, and I know that uh, Leonard Peikoff sent a copy of the Dim Hypothesis to Mark Levin. It would be great if Mark Levin, who is a, a good thinker already, he's excellent, if he would also read the dim hypothesis and bring some of that analysis to bear on what he does with his show, I, I think it would be wonderful. Elliot in the chat room also says that on Twitter, Oliver Willis from Media Matters just tweeted, read the knockouts, quote, beginning to, su- to suspect building conservative hysteria over knockout attacks is just another push for their own Trayvon. You know, again, there is, a, a lot of kind of um, racist alarmism that you can see out there I'm in some I you know conservative libertarian circles or whatever. I have people come to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and they post horrible racist stuff sometimes, and I ban those people. I moderate the comments there, and I try to get those posts off of there. But people do, do still some and you know sometimes post that. But as far as I know, this is being reported that it's happening repeatedly in many different metro areas and it's being reported by reliable news sources including Fox News as lame as I think Fox News is on some things I think it's reliable on others but let's go ahead let's talk about what Harry Reid and the Senate Democrats did yesterday if you go to the Wall Street Journal oh this is kind of weird I, I guess I got a link to the wrong place. Um, I was trying to link to a Wall Street Journal article when it's Democrats rein in Senate filibusters at the Wall Street Journal. Let me see if I can go ahead and find that article here in real time for you. The headlines have all moved around. It was Democrats rein in Senate filibusters. That was their headline as to what went on. Essentially what they did is they said if the Senate is going to appoint a judge, not to the Supreme Court, but to the federal bench lower than the Supreme Court, then they only need 51 votes to defeat a filibuster. There is no ability 
to filibuster unless you can get the 60 votes, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been in the past that the Republicans with 41 Republicans in the Senate have been able to block the nomination of a number of Obama appointees where those appointees had to be uh, you know, confirmed by the Senate, but not anymore. They are invoking what they call the nuclear option. And yeah, there's all sorts of footage out there of Harry Reid talking about how horrible the nuclear option is, that, oh, it's terrible, the Republicans should never invoke it, etc. The Democrats are invoking the so-called nuclear option. Let me see if I can search here on the Wall Street Journal website for the term filibuster and see if that'll get me what I wanted. Hmm. I don't know. Filibuster change, change paves way for a policy, uh, housing policy revamp, etc. Maybe they got rid of that article that I tried to bring up earlier. Uh, Democrats expected to curb filibuster rules soon is an older article. Anyway, they did it. They yesterday voted to change the Senate rules so that there no longer has to be 60 votes in order to defeat the filibuster. The other article that I have posted over at don'tletitgo.com and the link still works is from the New York Times. And the New York Times is warning, I'm thinking, duh. Uh, The warning is in the headline here, partisan fever in Senate likely to rise. It says President Obama will get a short-term lift for his nominees, judicial and otherwise, but over the immediate horizon, the strong-arm move by Senate Democrats on Thursday to limit filibusters could usher in an era of rank partisan warfare beyond even what Americans have seen in the past five years. My comment is, it should only be. Republicans usually just kind of roll over and cave in, no matter what. I would love to see more of the spirit. Rand Paul called Reed a dictator or some such. He used pretty strong language in reacting to this. I want to see more of that. Uh, Ted Cruz issued a very strong statement in reaction to the power grab by Reed. And he also called it a distraction from the repeal of Obamacare. But I, I don't think it's quite that, right? I, I tend to agree more with Mark Levin in his analysis of this. And I did include on my blog at don'tletitgo.com a link to Mark Levin's opening monologue from yesterday. And he talks about the fact that he thinks that because of what the Senate has done with this nuclear option, that the nation is in grave jeopardy. And he said it repeatedly. He says the nation's in grave jeopardy like nothing he's ever seen before. He says, you know, we won World War II, this is much more danger to us than World War II in the sense that I guess he doesn't think we can overcome it. Now, what does he think the problem is? And here's the thing, you know, uh, New York Times warns of partisanship, right? Partisanship with respect to passing future legislation, right? That the Senate Republicans are going to be able to unite with the House Republicans and prevent things from getting passed. I don't think Obama cares about that anymore. He has shown, and Mark Levin was talking about this a lot last night, he has shown that he's willing to rule by administrative ruling or executive order straight out of the Oval Office, as Mark Levin was saying. He's saying that Obama just intends to rule out of the Oval Office. He said time and time again, if Congress won't act, I will. He doesn't care about his constitutional 
not at all. And the other thing that he's warning about, and if you think about it, this is really the scary, scary thing. In order to challenge what Obama is doing and Obama's policies, right, in order to challenge all this stuff that Obama is doing to destroy the country, he says the challenges would have to come through the D.C. circuit. And apparently at issue, the big issue that led to this so-called nuclear option were three judges that the Democrats wanted to pile into the D.C. circuit and that kept getting blocked. So now they invoke this nuclear option. They put the three probably horribly disgusting liberal judges into the D.C. circuit. And lo and behold, challenges to Obama's policies through the courts. Ha ha. Good luck. It's done. And this is why he says, uh, Levin says, you know, Obama's going to rule through the overall Oval Office. And if you try to challenge it, you're going to have to go through the D.C. circuit. And that circuit court has been packed by Obama and his cronies. So this is pretty sobering stuff. I'm going to go ahead and take a call right now. Hi, who's this? Hi, am I on? Yes, who is this, please? Hi, uh, I'm Bruno. I'm calling from Italy. It's my first time. <laughs> so wow, hi. so I'm I'm sorry I didn't take your call earlier, Bruno, if I had known it was from Italy. If it said, hello, hello, I'm from Italy, I would have grabbed it first. So sorry to make you hold. <laughs> No, that's fine. Uh, I just wanted to say, because, um, you know, this uh, this thing about giving up, uh, uh, Americans usually don't know much about uh, Europe, but things are really, really, really bad here. And uh, we cannot give up the United States. I mean, if the United States goes socialist, there really is no other option. There's no other place that can that can fight this uh, because uh, you can have a, a let's say a free market country here and there say Hong Kong or somewhere else but the the ide- ideological foundation that's what really matters and the United right. States still still has a bit of that and you, you just not you just cannot let that go right I I completely agree with you I mean people talk about having de facto as they call it, de facto freedom, more maybe that they enjoy in the United States if they live a certain lifestyle someplace else. People don't usually go to Europe in order to escape uh, any of our mixed economy, uh, you yeah, know, fascism. So. <laughs> no, they, they usually, but they talk about going to places, you know, maybe Hong Kong or, you know, somewhere uh, you know, like that. But also they talk about going to Latin America. There's certain places in Latin America apparently where you can go and live pretty much off the grid and supposedly have some de facto freedom. But if you're talking about being able to be confident in what they call de jure freedom, freedom that has justification from within the social system that's actually, you know, a government set up to preserve our freedom, having that foundation, I don't, I don't know that there's anywhere except the United States to go to. So I, I agree. I mean, I have the title of the show, Don't Let It Go. It's based off of the essay by Ayn Rand who says, you know, the American sense of life is the thing that has been keeping us free all these decades. And what we need to do now is take that American sense of life, which still seems to be very much alive, even if it's on the level of we don't trust Obama anymore, that he lied to us and we're mad about it. Even if it's on that level, the American sense of life is there. We need to take that and we need to use that to convert that implicit philosophy 
into an explicit philosophy and therefore, you know, change the, the policies. The only way to change all of the horrible, destructive policies in the United States is to make that philosophy behind the American sense of life explicit. And that's one of the things I'm hoping to have an effect on with this show. Um, so where are you from, Bruno? Uh, I'm from Milan, uh, so North Italy. But you have very little accent. Uh, yeah, I'm actually uh, half American, so I, I am a U.S. citizen, but I always, I've lived here my entire life. So. Uh, my mother is American, so that's how I have my citizenship and my accent. <laughs> now, if, if you're an American citizen, uh, I mean, do you, I don't, I don't want to pry or anything, but why have you chosen to live there and not come back here? Well, because I'm still just uh, 21, born for 22, so um, I, I am definitely planning to come over there and uh, fight the great fight. Um, actually, I've already written a couple of articles for uh, the Objective Standard, uh, and I'm going to... So uh, I'm definitely looking towards the United States. I'm, I'm not looking forward to stay here any longer than is necessary. Okay. I mean, you know, again, I'm against this whole idea of, oh, there's a duty, you know, and and if you actually came to the judgment, if you said, okay, the United States was once the best and greatest and most moral nation in history. Why? Because it was the only nation that was founded on the idea that the proper function of government is to protect individual rights and that government should be limited to performing only that function. You recognize this. You know this. The United States was the greatest. But the fact that it was once the greatest, if you judge, if you say, look, my values in my life are no longer furthered by fighting for the survival of the United States, that it's so bad that in order to live my life with my values, I have to go someplace else. I don't blame the person. I just... I just question being able to make that judgment at this point in time. Uh, you know, especially. No, when I, I totally, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, uh, my call was precisely to say, uh, I, I have not let go. I don't want to let go. <laughs> so I don't think <laughs> we're still at that point in time. So <laughs> I, I totally agree with what you just said. Def, definitely good to hear. So maybe I will at some point meet you in a, at an objectivist conference or something, Bruno. That would be great. Yeah, that would. Uh, so uh, that's all I had to say. So uh, maybe I'll call next time. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And and welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Bruno, for calling, especially calling all the way from Italy. Of course, the wonderful technology of Skype makes that possible, hopefully for not too much change. But I, I definitely appreciate the calls today, like I said, especially when I do not have the interrupter, a.k.a. Bosch Faustin, joining me. So Let's let's go in a little bit uh, to this issue of the nuclear option. I, I think it is definitely a problem. And, and if Mark Levin, he's an attorney, you know, he's been watching the Washington scene for years. I think he knows the structure of the courts and where these cases have to go through. If he is right, that basically what this is doing is it is giving Obama the ability to rule from the Oval Office like I said, either through administrative ruling. He's got a vast, and, you know, again, Levin was excellent on this yesterday. I suggest go listen. It's 11 minutes of his opening monologue. He talks about the vast bureaucracy that Obama has at his fingertips. Obama can just call up the APA and say, hey, issue such and such ruling or do, right? Tell me he can't do that. It's crazy. It's, it's, It's the executive branch of government. Vast bureaucracy getting bigger all the time. 
huge bureaucracy under Obamacare, navigators without background checks and, you know, former felons and all these people, right? They do his bidding. He issues executive orders. He has press conferences and says, oh, I'll just uh, give you a waiver and let you keep your insurance for another year because I just feel so bad because it was scary getting that letter in the mail. Do that for the rest of his term. He doesn't care. You know, New York Times thinks he cares. You know, partisan fever in Senate is likely to rise. Oh, you know, it's going to be okay in the short term because he can get a bunch of nominees in there. But, you know, longer term, it's going to be harder because of all this. He doesn't care. Obamacare is the baby. Obamacare is the knockout punch. He can preserve Obamacare by packing the D.C. circuit so that the challenge can't come. And do you think the Supreme Court is going to take up Obamacare again? One thing I do know is apparently the Catholic institutions, Catholic churches and stuff, do not have to participate in Obamacare. But other than religious institutions, I don't know. And and how is that actually going to end up working out? How, how are the Catholic institutions going to survive outside of it? What doctors are going to go there? It, it, it remains to be seen. Here's the other thing that Levin brought up, right? Suppose Obama wants to appoint a Supreme Court justice. And his nominee is blocked. Suppose that happens sometime during his term. Maybe they'll invoke the nuclear option with respect to Supreme Court appointees. For now, it doesn't apply to Supreme Court appointees. Why does the Senate want to do that? They say, well, we don't know whether Obama's going to need to appoint a Supreme Court justice within his term. And, you know, we wouldn't like the Republicans using the nuclear option to get their appointees in on the Supreme Court. So we're just going to pass nuclear option on a need-to-use basis. All that Obama needs to use is the ones to pack the D.C. circuit right now. So why don't we just limit the nuclear option to that, right? So, yeah, I, I don't know if the New York Times is in on the game, but they're warning as if, you know, Obama should be concerned about the partisan fever that's going to – I don't think he gives a crap. I don't think he cares. He's just going to rule from the Oval Office as he has, get away with whatever he can get away with. I mean, and who knows? He might really luck out despite all the polls and everybody hating Obamacare and stuff. Maybe everyone will have amnesia and they'll elect a bunch of Democrats in 2014 and then he won't have to worry about this nuclear option anymore. Anyway, he'll just get all his policies rammed through. I'm doubting it, though. I'm thinking he sees the writing on the wall. He knows that he needs to do whatever he can between now and the elections to increase the chance of Democrats being elected. And as a fail safe, he needs to pack the courts, pack the courts, pack the courts between now and then so that his policies will be upheld. It's going to be hard to repeal stuff he knows. It's especially going to be hard to repeal Obamacare completely once he's got 400,000 plus added to Medicaid and even more and more coming as the time goes on. They're talking about Ocon here in the chat room. <laughs> yeah, Ocon is usually at the end of June, early July. It's going to be in Las Vegas this year, and, and a lot of people are saying that they're going to go ahead and be there. So that would be good. Um, then we're talking about doing side sessions, little meet. We should we should definitely have a meeting for Don't Let It Go Unheard listeners at the conference. Maybe we'll have to figure out how to get that going, get that together here. But yeah, I, you know, New York Times, I don't think 
that Obama really cares right now. His goal is pack the courts, have his policies, particularly Obamacare, upheld, have his use of unilateral executive power upheld so that nobody can challenge all of this abuse of power that he's doing. And I I think Levin was right in saying that Obama should have been impeached. He should have been impeached. If he shouldn't have, if he wasn't already impeached, he should be impeached now. This is ridiculous that this guy keeps hanging on and hanging on. Let me go ahead and get back to my list. See what we got here. Oh, just now for something completely different. Let's let's go the little Monty Python route here. And I, I just wanted to keep one thread going, which is that one of the things we need to do if we're going to win the long-term battle in the culture, if we're going to get more and more people to agree, intellectually speaking, not just from the standpoint of their gut, right? You know, there's a lot of people who've had the gut reaction to Obama. He told us we can keep our health care plan and we can't keep our health care plan. He lied to us. That's horrible. We hate when our leaders lie to us. It is great. It is great that Americans have the attitude that they will not accept a political leader lying to them, laying down. They're not going to take it laying down. They're going to make that person suffer in the polls. They're going to complain to their legislators, et cetera. They're going to cause trouble for their political leadership if the political leadership lies to them, betrays them. That is good. That's part of the American spirit. That's part of what it is to be an American. But it's not enough. We need Americans who know what individual rights are, that know that they're violated only by initiation of force, and that it is not a proper role of government to have any involvement in healthcare. This is a reason why at my cartoon over at don'tletitgo.com, Obamacare's knockout game, I made sure to be explicit. Yes, let's repeal Obamacare. Ted Cruz is right. Let's get a full repeal of Obamacare. And he's one of the few politicians who's asking for a full repeal of Obamacare. But a full repeal of Obamacare is only the first step of getting government completely out of medicine. We need people to understand that there is no right to have other people pay for your health care against their will. There is no right to have doctors treat you against their will, etc. Sure, if private charity wants to step in, and help you when you can't afford for health care. If a doctor wants to, out of the goodness of his heart, he's got some free time and he sees that you're suffering through no fault of your own and he wants to go ahead and help you for free, great. Doctors are free to do that. But there is no moral obligation to do that. The fact that someone is a doctor or that someone is a researcher for a pharmaceutical company or an investor in a pharmaceutical company does not mean that everybody else has a mortgage on their life. And until people understand that, then after Obamacare, we'll repeal it. Then there's going to be Hillary Care or the equivalent next time. Who knows what we're going to have? There is no long-term lasting change unless there is a change in people's understanding of what the proper function of government is. And the only way to help that is through education, education, education. And the only way education can work is if you have a society of people capable of understanding what in the world you're talking about. If you're talking about philosophy and if you talk about the, you know, the basis of individual rights are in the fact that people, human beings, survive by our rational faculty. We survive by means of reason and that reason cannot operate at the point of a gun. I mean, you know, 
it's it's said in Atlas Shrugged much more eloquently, but I don't have the quote in front of me. You try to imagine having brain surgery when your brain surgeon is, has a government gun pointed to him, telling him how much he can charge you, how much time he can spend, what procedures he's allowed to do on you, given the fact that you have a talk show on blog talk radio and you criticize the president, blah, 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 right? Um, who works under compulsion? Nobody works well under compulsion. Hell, I don't work very well if I'm on a deadline. You know, you, that, that, it's not really force, but, you know, it's pressure. Imagine you're compelling doctors, you're compelling researchers to work under force. It, it just does not work. So if people understand that initiation of force has to be banned and that that is the proper function of government and the only proper function of government, that if government becomes the initiator of force, then it becomes the thing that is inimical to human survival. It becomes the thing that is our enemy, which is what government is in many cases today. Unfortunately, government today is doing much more initiation of force and much less protecting us from the initiation of force than it should be. People need to understand that. This comes from abstract philosophy. People need to perform massive integrations to even understand the idea that reason is our means of survival. People need to be able to look at where our food comes from in the grocery store, how it's grown, how it gets there, how it's able to be distributed and sold to you. How do the supermarkets know how much to stock? They need to know that medical care, which is something that we do depend on, depends so much on reason. Everything that we depend on for our survival, just think food, clothing, shelter, medical care, all depends on reason. People need to be able to perform that integration and say, oh yeah, reason is human beings' means of survival. That's how we primarily survive. Anything that's inimical to our means of survival is going to destroy us. And that is initiation of force. That is the one thing that can force you to act against your will is someone using physical force against you fraud tricking you as an indirect form until people understand this then we're never going to undo all of the policies all the destruction that obama and his predecessors have wrought and if people can't understand it because of government schools and the low quality of education they can't do the abstract thinking required we're in big trouble so Long story short, I wanted to remind you that we need to get government completely out of the schools. We need to abolish government schools entirely. I'm not just talking about Common Core, the latest intervention. Common Core is terrible, and it signifies, just as Obamacare signifies a massive takeover of the healthcare industry, Common Core signifies a new massive intervention, centralized control from the federal government. Nonetheless, we need to get government completely out. When people say, oh, yeah, get rid of the Common Core, get rid of the Department of Education, and give it all back to the states, I don't want the states being in charge of educating our children any more than I want um, the federal government. And I understand that the objective standard, speaking of the objective standard, we've got Robert NYC in the chat room, who's a contributor there, and we also have... Uh, Bruno, who we just spoke to a while ago from Italy, who has written a couple articles for them. They have an article out. I I think it's out today, but I'm not sure. Uh, It is by C. Bradley Thompson, whom we've interviewed on this show before, talking about what a truly free market in education would look like. 
What would poor people do, for example? That's the thing that most people always worry about. What about poor people? I think there will always be charity in the United States, assuming that the government doesn't tax us to death so we can't afford to give charity. But for poor kids who truly can't afford an education, I think that will probably uh, pick up the slack there. But I think education would be cheaper and better without government intervention, as healthcare is. I think that's the truth everywhere. But the story that I have linked to on my blog is just a ridiculous example of government in schools. And it is that the Portland school, there's a Portland school that sees racism in something that's going on in the school. You know what the something that's going on in the school is, that they see racism? Racism in peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah, racism in peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It says, in an effort to combat perceived discrimination, one Portland school seems to have gone off the deep end by suggesting that peanut butter and jelly sandwiches carry racist connotations. According to the Portland Tribune, Veronese Gutierrez, who's the principal of Harvey Scott K-8 through School, picks up on the subtle language of racism, quote-unquote, on a daily basis. She says, take the peanut butter sandwich, a seemingly innocent example of uh, that a teacher used in a lesson last school year. What about Somali or Hispanic students who might not eat sandwiches, she asked. Another way would be to say, Americans eat peanut butter and jelly. Do you have anything like that? Let them tell you. Maybe they eat torta or pita. As far as I know, torta is a sandwich, but whatever. <sighs> Racism in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, if you use that as an example. Now, I would complain myself, you know. I think peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on bread, you know, I'm one of those paleo-ish type people, and you're not supposed to have peanuts. Those are legumes. The jelly is pure sugar. The bread is grain. It's completely wrong from a paleo perspective. So what if I just say I'm offended from a paleo perspective? Forget this racist stuff. I think that the government schools should ban all discussion of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because they're not paleo. How about that? Ridiculous. Anyway, we need to get government out of schools. The other story that I saw, and I'm sorry, I didn't link to it there on don'tletitgo.com, but I just uh, was reminded of it, is a mother who was billed $10 by the school. She was charged a $10 fine by the school. Why? Because her sandwich, uh, excuse me, her, her packed lunch, the packed lunch that she made for a child, did not include a grain. Did not include a grain. So imagine if I had a child who I sent to a public school and I did not pack grains in the lunch for that child, which I wouldn't, they would give my child the grain that I wouldn't want my child to eat, and they would charge me $10 for it? And what was the grain that they gave her? If you saw the story, you probably saw it being passed around. It was Ritz crackers. That's a real healthy grain, right? <laughs> if I was going to include a grain, I think I'd include, you know, a sprouted something with the original grains or, you know, the, the kind that we paleo-ish people sort of flirt with sometimes. Certainly not a Ritz cracker. So get government out of schools. Diet is not, of course, the main most essential reason. The reason is that, again, education and everything else, education is a service that's being provided. It is not the government's job to educate children. And if you think it is, then really 
the end run is indoctrination. Those people who think, oh, yeah, I want government involved in schools, but I don't want the common core, I say check your premises because the common core is the logical conclusion to the idea that it's government's job to educate our children. Government at any level, right? Because if it's the state government's job, of course the federal government is going to be concerned to make sure that the state is doing its job with respect to your I mean, after all, the kids in California should get just as good an education as the kids in Texas and et cetera. So the government has to oversee and make sure. And then before you know it, you're at Common Core. Okay, that's the last side of the day because I want to go on to stuff that's a little bit better. One thing I wanted to talk about was a little excerpt of the Ayn Rand Impact newsletter. Those of you who support the Ayn Rand Institute, and I have a link to the Ayn Rand Institute at my blog at don'tletitgo.com, and no, I was not paid to give you this, but there was actually something in their Impact newsletter, the November uh, 2013 edition, that I wanted to discuss with you because it was relevant to a question that I've been flirting with here on this show. The, the question is about compromise. And Ted Cruz has talked about the idea that there's a certain type of political compromise that is good, and then there's another type of compromise that would be basically giving up your principles. And we've also heard Chris Christie try and talk about that as well, not very convincingly, because he himself doesn't seem to have any real principles that he won't compromise. But what is you know, compromise in, in, in a proper sense? And, and here's a quote. This is actually from Rand herself, but it says a compromise properly understood, uh, quote, is an adjustment of conflicting claims by mutual concessions. This means that both parties to a compromise have some valid claim and some value to offer each other. And this means that both parties agree upon some fundamental principle which serves as a base for their deal. And then there's an example given from Rand, quote, One may bargain with a buyer over the price one wants to receive for one's product and agree on a sum somewhere between one's demand and his offer. The mutually accepted basic principle in such case is the principle of trade, namely that the buyer must pay the seller for his product. But if one wanted to be paid and the alleged buyer wanted to obtain one's product for nothing, no compromise, agreement, or discussion would be possible, only the total surrender of one or the other. End quote. And that was from taken from the essay, Doesn't Life Require Compromise from the Virtue of Selfishness? So when I was looking at this impact excerpt, which included the, uh, the quotation there, you know, ba- basically they are talking about the difference in compromise properly understood and difference in compromise as it's, as it's understood today. So here's quoting from the impact excerpt. They say, today's advocates of compromise aim precisely to blur the difference between negotiating the implementation of a, quote, mutually accepted principle and betraying one's principles. You cannot have a compromise on basic principles or on fundamental issues, said Rand, such as, quote, between freedom and government controls. To accept just a few controls is to surrender the principle of inalienable individual rights and to substitute it for the principle of the government's unlimited arbitrary power, thus delivering oneself into gradual enslavement, end quote. And again, that part is uh, quoting from the essay, doesn't life require compromise? Now, what do we do here? You're Ted Cruz. 
you want to repeal Obamacare. Maybe you would like to have government completely out of the healthcare industry, but none of your colleagues are going to agree that tomorrow we should pass a piece of legislation in which the government decides to get entirely out of the healthcare industry. You might be able to get a clean repeal bill for Obamacare, though. Is Ted Cruz compromising on basic principles if he accepts only a clean repeal of Obamacare? I'm actually going to say no. But then what you have to figure out is you have to say, well, if Ted Cruz is going to accept only a clean repeal of Obamacare and not, you know, sponsor a bill that says, let's get government entirely out of health care. What, what is the mutually accepted principle that he's acting on? An actual principle, not, oh, well, we're going to have some government controls and some not. And I would say that the mutually accepted principle that any politician who's going to keep integrity today has to be acting on is that we are working towards phasing government out. We are reducing the size and scope of government. That any politician that keeps integrity with respect to uh, the idea that everything that he's doing is working towards a government that performs only its proper function, that works towards getting government out of the places where it shouldn't be, like healthcare. And for instance, I think he sponsored a bill recently to protect soldiers more effectively from sexual assault. Okay, that's fine too. Anything where he is consistently working towards government performing its proper function and getting government out of the places where it isn't, I think would be fine. Now, if they said, oh, well, Ted Cruz, we want you to sign on to a piece of legislation where you're going to remove some controls over here, say from Obamacare, and increase some controls over there, then I'd say no. He would be compromising in the wrong sense. But I would say that a mutually accepted principle for politicians today could be the reduction of government involvement. If, if everybody was on the same page and said, okay, we're going to reduce it, but some of them you know, thought we could reduce the involvement in the healthcare industry more and some less right now, he can compromise with those people. But this is in a political realm, so it's kind of sticky. Anyway, you can tell me what you think of that. Leave a comment at my show for my show at DontLetItGo.com over on the blog. No, I'm not done, but I'm just telling you to uh, go ahead and go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com and let me know what you think of that little hypothesis there. Let's see what people say in the chat room. Bruno says that Ayn Rand's explanation of compromise is really great and unique. I agree, and I agree that the thing we have to do is identify for these politicians who are out there really fighting the good fight, like a Ted Cruz, what is the mutually accepted principle on which they can work with these other people and with integrity promote something less than tomorrow we have a pure capitalist society? What is that mutually accepted principle? And it's got to be that we are going to be rolling back the size and scope of government. And that's why the Tea Party is so crucial. The Tea Party, in its fundamental essence, if you take away all the social issues, the religious-based stuff, the Tea Party, in its essence, is designed to reduce the size and scope of the federal government, get the federal government back to performing only its proper functions. 
of, of uh, protecting our individual rights. So that was my little rant on compromise for today. What What is the proper compromise? Uh, Robert NYC is recommending anatomy of a compromise as well. Um, there in the chat room. Let's go ahead on a couple things. Uh, one thing I wanted you to see, just going to refer you over there, as an opposite of the knockout game, Robert NYC here in the chat room, he recommends over at the Objective Standard something that he wrote, and I think it's just published today, Thomas Sowell, Richie Parker, and the Left's War Against Achievement. And Sowell has said things in particular on the knockout game, which I think is very good. But there is one thing that I wanted to talk about at a little bit of length before we leave today, something a little bit indulgent. It is an ad that made me smile. Yes, it's an ad for a product, Volvo. Volvo uh, apparently has a wonderful steering mechanism in their trucks, very, very stable steering mechanism in their big trucks. Uh, now, would big trucks exist to the extent that they do today, but for government intervention? I don't know. Some people have talked about the fact that the reason we see so many huge trucks on our highways creating so much traffic, particularly here in Southern California, is because of the government intervention in the railroad industry and that it was unions and all the desire to create union jobs for truckers is the reason that we have so many trucks. But enough said about that. There would still be need for some trucks, and Volvo apparently has designed an excellent uh, very, very stable steering mechanism. And in order to demonstrate the wonderful steering mechanism of Volvo trucks, they have been doing, I guess, various commercials. I haven't seen this other one. I mean to go see it, but there was one with a ballerina. But the one that I did see, and I didn't even know it was him featured in this commercial until after a few minutes after I watched it. Jean-Claude Van Damme is in a Volvo commercial in which they play Enya, and Jean-Claude Van Damme is very calmly, you know, he has a monologue and everything. And maybe I'll just go ahead and, and play you the, the audio here because he sounds so dignified, right? The muscles from Brussels, as they called him, sound so di- dignified in this ad. So let's, let's, let's hear a little bit of Enya and Jean-Claude Van Damme. I've had my ups and downs, my fair share of bumpy roads and heavy winds. That's what made me what I am today. Now I stand here before you. What you see is a body crafted to perfection. A pair of legs engineered to defy the laws of physics. And a mindset to master the most epic of splits. Now he's doing the splits. This is this is just too awesome. So there's Jean-Claude Van Damme bragging about his body, and then he does the splits across two Volvo trucks. He's got his feet planted on top of the mirrors of these two huge trucks, and moreover, the trucks are going in reverse. They have them go in reverse because it's even harder to keep the steering stable when going in reverse. And so what is, what's the steering that's being done? What happens is, is at the beginning, the trucks are together, so he's not having to do a split. And then the trucks 
are separating exactly enough for him to do the split safely, but no more. So he doesn't fall, et cetera, et cetera. Apparently, if you look at the behind the scenes on this, if you watch behind the scenes videos, it was a real thing that was done. Now, they did have a safety line attached to him. But for instance, they didn't like attach his feet to these things. I think they put little platforms so he could put his feet there. So, you know, if it had gone wrong, then he would have fallen, but this safety line would have caught him. He wouldn't have died or anything, but he's hanging on. He's doing the splits between two trucks down a highway. Of course, it's protected, blah, blah, blah. But the thing that I linked to actually on my blog is something a little bit funnier, which is a spoof on this. And it's, um, why, why is my thing not scrolling for me my computer is not crawling okay so it's Channing Tatum and he spoofs Jean-Claude Van Damme Volvo ad and he does his own epic split but his epic split is on the set of 22 Jump Street and it's on a couple of food carts and he doesn't quite make it into a split and 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 it's just it's just kind of fun but I just I love the idea that you've got this technology you've got some ad agency i don't know who thought this up but i mean what an amazing stunt what amazing bravery jean-claude van damme is something like 53 i don't know him not i'm not a fan or anything but i'm impressed that a 53 year old guy is going to go out there and have enough audacity and confidence in his abilities to be able to pull off doing the splits between two cars am i naive that way I really don't know. Anyway, that's what I leave you with. I leave you with a smile and hopefully a little bit of a laugh. And everyone, we will continue next week. We're going to rail on Obama. We're going to rail on the Democrats. And we're going to keep looking for some of the positives out there as well. Like I said, go to my blog, don'tletitgo.com, and leave comments on the show. Check out the program notes. Definitely watch over and over like I have the Jean-Claude Van Damme video and enjoy it. And we will talk next week. Okay, take care.